All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 419. Jason Lindgren is with me. Andy Kaufman, Dr. Andy Kaufman is with me and Marcy Pravat. We're going to be talking about a film that the latter two have created called Terrain. Uh, on that film, Jason served as an audio engineer and he also did narration. We will, uh, you know, I didn't even ask Jason, are we putting links that what are we doing with the film? Are we going to link it or point people to it in some way? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so probably in comments, definitely in comments, there'll be some kind of a link. Jason was integral to the making of the film, so I assume he'll be most of the the conversation here today on our end. But welcome, Jason. Uh, And a very hot good morning it is. So how long has the film actually been out? I know it took us a while to get a spot to slot this recording date. What was the official release date now? Because I know it got moved a few times, but it's been out for months now. Uh, Yeah, I think it was the end of January, beginning of January, wasn't it, Andy? I think it was February, actually, but uh, I'm looking through my calendar right now to see the official release date. Well, I'll tell you what, when we get to it, someone will add it in. By the way, welcome, Andy and Marcy. So Rose just messaged me. Uh, the first episode we had with Dr. Andy Kaufman was at the beginning of the Covidius Minimus nonsense. It was episode 203. We had him back for episode 203.5.1, and he was also on episode 209 and 227. And um, I'm now seeing that the the link to the film is terrainthefilm.com. Terrain has two R's. So T-E-R-R-A-I-N, thefilm.com. And the world premiere was on February 5th of this year. And Jason, why don't you lead us in? All right. So uh, I didn't know Marcy yet. Thankfully, Andy was awesome in recommending me to her to uh, help with the audio and all that. And was the first stage the Miami part of it that we all were together for? Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was the first major shoot uh, when we went down to Miami. And uh, that was a, a great setup there, having you in person. And of course, we interviewed Kelly Brogan and Sayer G while we were there. Sarah G is great. We've had him on and a lot of people really appreciated that film, but most people can probably deduce by the name of the film. What's the overarching idea that's being covered within the film? I'm assuming the word terrain, and I have reviewed the film, is based on the idea of train theory. Absolutely. And, you know, what we wanted to set out to do with this film is to sort of uh, launch a paradigm shift in health from, you know, the current germ theory false model to terrain theory, which is really kind of a broad term, which means that the natural surroundings, our environment, our milieu that we're in on the large and small scale as above, so below, is what determines health and vitality rather than some outside invaders uh, coming in to attack us like in wartime. So what we do is take the current uh, germ theory paradigm, especially as highlighted and evidenced by the psychological operation we've been going through the last couple of years and specifically look at virology and show how it is based on false interpretations of experiments and outright fraud. And then we transition to introduce the terrain theory as a new a paradigm of looking at biology and health. And we approach both of these subjects, not just from a technical, scientific, you know, talking head documentary style, but we also present uh, emotional aspects and struggles. Uh, there's even a, a police standoff in the film. So we really try to capture the feeling of the experience and how we are essentially oppressed and miserable under the current wartime model regime, under the materialist reductionist scientific philosophy, and we could be liberated, we could be in a world of wonder, we could be responsible for our own health and well-being if we adopt this truer terrain model. And did we want to say say anything about the point that I brought up about terrain not being a theory? I mean, terrain is just the laws of nature. And we're talking about, you know, when we reduce this from into a debate between germ and terrain, it, it sort of minimize it, it takes us back into that sort of maligned space, you know, where we're legitimizing germ theory by having a debate. I mean, how do we debate the laws of nature? 
is, isn't terrain just about bringing things back into balance? Not to say that there aren't things under the umbrella of terrain that are theories like exosomes and what they do, but do we really believe that terrain in and of itself is a theory when it's really just talking about bringing the ecosystem back into balance? That's a good, it's a good point. I guess when things become law, you know what's going to happen every time when you do it. But based on what Andy was saying about people misconstruing things, uh, I'm not a doctor, but when I was first put in front of Koch's postulates, it seemed to me that even that started to blow holes in all the things that we're pretending are true, like germ theory. Andy, you're trained. What's your idea about that? Don't the postulates themselves bring into doubt ideas about germ theory? Well, yeah, of course. So, you know, there's there's two ways of looking at what Marcy's talking about, because there are laws of nature that we are aware of, like the law of cause and effect, for example. But there are other things that we don't fully understand because we've been kept from doing the proper research all these years. So we have to set out on a path of discovery to get a better understanding of truly what's going on in nature and get away from the subversion of the current uh, systems that are funding and controlling all of the scientific narrative. One of the things that has struck me recently is I have a new mentor in my life who is a naturopath, homeopath, and he has told me the story of how allopathy took over in this country and that there were major hospitals doing basically remedies, health remedies that were working back in the day. And what they did is they changed all the laws and all the rules to the point where if someone now wants to get back to a saner way of medicine, they just have their license pulled or other massive inconveniences to try to prevent everyone from saying, hey, man, terrain theory, that's interesting. I'd like to know more about it. It's almost like the rule of law is put there to block the way. So, Andy, do you have a reflection on Cook's postulates with regard to what I just said? Yeah. So this is uh, something that's really important to look at. And this was glossed over really in my medical experience uh, in medical school. It was mentioned as the way to prove causation of a disease by a germ, but it was never explored for a particular illness. So in other words, they told us Koch's postulates were satisfied for all these illnesses, but they didn't actually present any of the experiments. And this is, you know, a common sense set of rules to show that you can actually find the germ in people who have the illness, <laughs> right? I mean, that's pretty common sense if it's the cause. And of course, the corollary to that is you don't find them in people who don't have the illness. And then you should be able to take it out of the uh, individual with the illness and then put it in uh, an experimental host and cause the same illness. And then that will prove the causation. And if you look at the evidence for all these illnesses, you find that they didn't actually satisfy it for any of these so-called infectious diseases. In fact, some of them are, are so outright obviously false that it almost defies logic of how this idea was permeated over time to you know, be accepted universally as a, a truth in science when actually it's false. So it's really fascinating that this comes up in a number of ways in the current dialogue. Uh, so, for example, people from the mainstream often say Koch's postulates is no longer relevant uh, for viruses, that they have new ways, but they never articulate exactly what the new standard is. And then they publish articles saying that they've proven Koch's postulates in the top journals like Nature. So why would they be publishing studies with that and then saying it's irrelevant at the same time? It's a contradiction and it just leaves you confused. And then when you actually read those studies, you find that they didn't actually carry out Koch's postulates at all. So it, it's quite fascinating, but that is definitely a, a sensitive buzzword. And it's so important to the establishment that in Germany, they named their version of the CDC after Robert Koch. So this is a, you know, a very important issue to understand. Would it be safe to say that the average doctor who's been through normal mainstream medical school doesn't even consider the possibility of any kind of outside-the-box thinking? Well, there's no time during your medical education to do any kind of thinking at all. They essentially throw 
massive amounts of factual material at you to memorize. And then you have to integrate that into some kind of overall understanding or ability to regurgitate facts and answer true and false and multiple choice questions. So that's what you're put through. And it's like a hazing ritual because you have to spend so much time. And then there are all these shortcuts like these uh, cheat study guides of pearls and uh, such that you only focus on the things that most commonly come up on exam questions. And in the experience of all of that, there's no time to sit and pull up a research study and evaluate it and think about it and think about you know the big picture and where medicine is going and how could it be improved. That That's simply not a part of the culture at all. Oh, that, that's kind of proven in what we've learned over the last couple of years, where we have had plenty of examples of administration basically telling the doctors, this is what you're going to do. You want to be employed? You want to have a paycheck? You want to keep this is what you do? And I don't think most people have any idea they think a doctor is practicing. You know, that's what we always say is practicing medicine. He's getting better and better and better. <laughs> but it feels to me like administration has jumped into that loop almost in the same way the mainstream news does. If you say a thing enough times, that just becomes the echo chamber that people accept. Well, you have to look at the business of medicine to figure out what's happening because independent physicians no longer have the ability to make their own decisions about what to do with patients. There's uh, essentially business people that run hospitals and clinics and, and HMOs and other medical organizations, and they have specific financial incentives to order certain tests, to conduct certain procedures, to prescribe certain medications, and they institute clinical practice guidelines. And this has all been made possible by the electronic health record. Uh, which has been now almost universally implemented because it's been tied with the reimbursement schemes. And this is essentially leading to AI medicine because everything is now protocolized uh, by these guidelines and algorithms, and it's less and less in the control of any individual human, and it's going to be completely automated in the future. And obviously, it's already being tied in with the surveillance sort of social credit system, which is going to include health surveillance, especially communicable diseases, which is will be used to control your access to various parts of society. Well, that's about as dangerous as we could get, surrendering everything over to the computer where the doctors literally just do exactly what they're told by a machine. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? I don't even think there'll be doctors involved. Uh, there, there may be a few, you know, special doctors for the most uh, difficult and perplexing cases, but essentially, there there will only be technicians that will, you know, give injections or, uh, you know, walk you from the waiting room to uh, where you interface with the machines. There's a bit of irony here, and it tells you something about the intent of where our world is currently headed, because AI, if employed in a helpful way, would know to a 98 or 99% certainty that this would heal someone or it wouldn't. It would cure them, remedy them, whatever you want to call it. And yet what we see is it's going in a different way, which would probably more closely align with control and business. It's almost like the surveillance capitalism idea that Jason and I covered so long ago. Jump in, Jason. I forgot to have a question. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the whole basis of the film, I think I told this to Marcy. I'm not sure if I told you at all, Andy, in the months that I have since found this. I've been going back through a lot of the old Bill Cooper episodes, and I came across a three-hour episode from the 90s where they were discussing all of the topics that are all throughout the film. It's pretty much the same notions, uh, almost to a T, coming from the same conclusions that the whole film is all about. And it seems like with, like with so many things, that got lost to time. And then just in the last few years, folks like you and Dr. Tom Cowan and a few others are trying to bring this back into the public consciousness. But uh, it's just mind-blowing that people were trying to push this envelope, like, hey, there's other ways of thinking about things. And it literally just got obliterated physically and figuratively. Well, that's uh, really important, Jason, because it seems like we keep going through periods of amnesia throughout history. But of course, this is not the first time that people have been aware that germ theory is a fraud and that viruses haven't been actually scientifically shown to exist. 
many people during the AIDS era were publicly talking about this. And there was a, a, a excellent dialogue that it became fractured at a time, which kept it from becoming bigger. But you can actually find even mainstream news interviews and articles covering this topic from the mid 90s and uh, early 2000s, even mainstream kind of documentaries like House of Numbers that people can look at. And of course, this goes back even further because you can look at the resistance, for example, that parents had to immunizations back in the days of diphtheria at the turn of the century. So this is a struggle that we have had to play over and over again. And we've really forgotten the history related to it and the lessons that have already been learned. And uh, I was really just fortunate to ask the question. And that's how I came upon this material myself. And, and I won't be fooled again, obviously, but really it's time that there is a shift to the truth that comes about for everyone. Because if we continue to be misled and fooled by this false paradigm, this uh, scientism, and essentially acquiescing to authority figures that we're going to end up in lives of bondage. So I'm going to jump over to Marcy here and zero in on the film, but I want everyone to know, based on what Dr. Kaufman just said, we did uh, two episodes based on surveillance capitalism with fit exactly what Andy just said. It was episode. These are essential listening episodes, particularly for young people, maybe college age. Episode 165 and 168. Uh, It was based on one of the first books written about AI. It's a thick book, five inches thick, probably, by a lady named Shoshana Zuboff. And she had access into the boardrooms at Google, all over this world. Um, It's essential listening. But let's shift gears here. So, Marcy, how long did it take you to actually create this film? And were there stumbling blocks were, you know, did the world try to get in your way as you were doing it? Um, It was a couple of years and no, the world didn't get in my way so much as my learning curve. Um, When I stepped into this with no science background, it was a pretty steep learning curve, but I had already a lot of awareness about how things work. So none of it was a surprise to me. It was just a question of really understanding this whole theory of of germs. And like I was saying before, and I I don't mean to belabor the point, but I think it's really important to make that I'm really, from an alchemical perspective, I, I think it's really important to understand that the laws of the universe, you know, just the elements alone, fire, air, earth, water, ether, they play into our health. And this is not theory. And we are so far removed from understanding that, that we have to have something like germ theory in order to explain things to us, because we just don't even have connection to that stuff at all anymore. And this is the reason why I think it's so important to look at terrain as just the natural system and how do we bring ourselves back into balance. I think it's very, very important. And I got, I I became so interested in that that I really wanted to understand this germ theory to the best of my ability. And some of it was kind of hard, like the sequencing and stuff. And I still have questions. I, that, Andy, I had some questions the other day about sequencing, about why they find, even though the sequence is just a short sequence, why do they find it? You know, I know that there's the amplification thing that makes it easy to find, but why do they find that same one in case after case after case? So there's a lot there that I'm always asking questions about, but the bottom line is I think I kind of already intuitively understood it. Well, Marcy, a simple answer to that is that you can find anything in anything, as uh, said by the uh, Carrie Mullis himself, if you use enough amplification. And that's simply what they can manipulate it to find anything in anything. And so it's arbitrary, the nature of the specific sequence that they're looking for. But I think that you weren't completely honest that we did have a lot of stumbling blocks to making this film. We couldn't travel. We couldn't use your normal crew wouldn't work with you uh, because they were afraid of COVID. So, I mean, we, we really had a lot of barriers. We had to do this in a very different way. And also we didn't seek any outside funding 
and uh, you know that we we uh, don't have unlimited finances. So we we had a lot of limitations on making this film, but we had no limitations in the passion and in curiosity. Maybe that's why I forgot all that, Andy, because of that, because of the passion. You're absolutely right. We did have a lot of problems. Usually I have a whole crew. I mean, not a whole. It's just usually a three-person crew. But I didn't have any crew except for when I was very fortunate to have Jason with me in Miami. But other than that, we didn't have any crew. And when the filmmaker is trying to do sound and other things, it's just a setup for nothing but problems. And, you know, we had to sacrifice footage because the sound wasn't good. That happened in uh, Colorado. Um, so, yeah, Andy's absolutely right. But I have to say the irony is I enjoyed it so much, the learning experience, and felt so honored to have the the opportunity to learn this stuff and then deliver a message through creative expression that I forgot about all. It's sort of like labor pains, you know, the baby's born and you forgot, eh, it was a, not a big deal. <laughs> and it really is. Well, the interesting thing about the way this film came together was we were all learning at the same time that the nonsense was going on in the real world. So all this was unfolding while everything else was unfolding. Exactly. Which was such a puzzle. And we kept, you know, like making another discovery. And every single time we had to vet it. Is this, is this a true discovery or is this fear porn? You know, we had to go through and, and constantly, fortunately, Andy was the one, you know, Andy, if you, the way you look at everything, you really scour it. And so I had complete trust and there was never a moment when I didn't have that. So it gave me this really safe learning environment and I just went with it. So how, how was the film received? Was the world ready for it? When Jason put out Shoot the Moon, uh, which is a lot less confrontational, I would estimate, than a thing about COVID or directed towards COVID in this age of censorship. When we first put out our film, I thought this is going over like a Led Zeppelin. And then slowly but surely it caught on. I think Jason has 10 awards now. How has Terrain been received by the world in the current climate? Well, Crow, you know, part of it is a little bit difficult to tell, but we definitely, it was received uh, beyond my expectations anyway. We'll have to ask Marcy about hers, but we had something like 35,000 people watching it live during the premiere. So that was, uh, you know, way, way beyond uh, what we were expecting. And it was really an amazing experience. Uh, to go through that because we had it like a premiere night where we had all of the uh, cast assembled for a virtual webinar. You know, we wish we could have done it in person. So we did miss out on many of those kinds of experiences because of the nature of the world, but it was received extremely well. And um, we have also now been in distribution preliminarily with Iconic TV, uh, which is uh, Jamie Ike's uh, uh, operation trying to, you know, be a mainstream broadcasting channel. And we recently have been uh, put on the Be Sovereign Network, which is a Sayer G's uh, project. And we are about to have some distribution agreements on some more mainstream channels. So this is really untested in the general population, you know, among this community, we, we've had a great response. We've had a couple of international screenings. I've done a couple of in-person screenings at conferences, uh, like at uh, Floatfest, for example. So it, it's really done extremely well. And we're keeping our fingers crossed that the general audience uh, may actually find some interest and that there may be some curious people who could uh, learn or be inspired by this film who aren't already aware of some of these possible issues. Well, to make a pun, 35,000 for an opening night on a non-social media network, that's nothing to sneeze at. Rose just pinged me. Sarah G was on episode 226 with us. This was back when we still put the first hour on YouTube, which we can't do anymore because of censorship. And that was 50K, but that was YouTube. So to pull numbers like you're citing, you know, on your own dime, that's quite a thing. Uh, that's what, right. What's your point of view, Marcy? Was the world ready for it? You know, it's such an odd thing because that night it was so exciting and I didn't really know what was going on. I was just sort of taking directives to, you know, get on to the site and such. But I couldn't tell what people were thinking or what they were 
texting or chatting about. I didn't see any of that going on. And then when it was over, it was just like everybody hung up and I was sitting in a room by myself because I didn't have anybody there watching any of this with me. And I'm used to film festivals and we got snubbed by the film festivals. And so, you know, which is really kind of shocking because I've done very well at film festivals in the past and have, you know, established relationships and they didn't want any part of this. And so for me, you know, it was kind of like uh, I was I felt like I was sort of in a void. So it's really makes me happy to hear Andy say all that because I don't really keep tabs on on what's going on. I, I've been trying here in Hawaii to get a screening going and I've just been more or less my emails are not answered, you know, so the word has to get out. Well, let me, Marcy, let me put it out there right now, because on our website, terrainthefilm.com, we actually have an option where you could get a very inexpensive license to screen the film wherever you are in the world. And uh, we will be there to support that. And also, Marcy and I could even be available for Q&As remotely or if it's nearby in person. So if anyone wants to help get this material out there to a more general audience. Uh, we've had a great response when we, we did this recently in Mexico. And, uh, and not only was, were there a large number of expatriates there, but a large number of Mexicans. So it was really, you know, a great experience. And, you know, I just want to encourage people, uh, we'll work with you. Uh, we're not looking to make money from this. Uh, we want to get this out there and uh, we'll, we'll help you make it happen. So let's circle back on the film festival thing. So Marcy, you have a relationship with film festival centers. When Jason put out Shoot the Moon, we were pretty much feeling like we were getting snubbed. And I had the mindset, well, I said, NASA lies. No one's going to touch this. But Jason kept at it and he didn't have any relationship. He just kept submitting it. Now you have a relationship with such places and they're literally snubbing you. And if that's true, shame on them. Freedom of expression, right? What's a film festival for? Isn't freedom of expression wrapped up in that somehow? (laughs) I don't think so. Film festivals are expensive to put on and they have sponsors and they've got to please their sponsors. And I really thought there were few. I, I didn't actually formally submit because I don't usually have to anymore. When I make films, they pretty much, the film festivals I have established relationships with just pretty much take them. And I don't have to go through that formal thing with very many of them that I've been in before. And these, this time they didn't even respond. You know, I sent them the, te- the website, the trailer, all, you know, the teaser, just no response. I think it's just too scary of a topic. And one of the film festivals was sending out vaccine information of how you need to get vaccinated and and I'm vaccinated and I'm off to a film festival and I can go because I'm vaccinated. And I thought, you know, what, how on earth am I ever going to get, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's not going to happen. And so I was so grateful that Andy's team, um, you know, figured out this wonderful idea for this premiere because I'd never done that before. I'd always, my premieres have always been at film festivals. So it was a new way of doing things. And um, I hope going forward, we can kind of marry the two, you know, like maybe find some film festival somewhere that'll take us. If we could find just one, then once you throw some laurels up on your site, you know, other festivals see it. But there needs to be somebody who has the courage out there to do it first. And then the other film festivals will follow. I heard this was the same problem with the film Vax. Um, I was just listening to an interview the other day and it was Robert De Niro's film festival in, in uh, Italy. No, in the Tribeca, Manhattan. Oh, was it Tribeca or the one in Italy? I heard it was the Italian film festival, the big one. Venice. That's not De Niro's though. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I don't know. But anyhow, the same thing happened there. They actually got into the festival and then they did not play the film after they got in. So, I mean, this is not uncommon, I I guess. If you're making, you know, the film festivals love the kinds of films that are in the trendy types of, of cutting edge subjects in their perception, like something like war, transgender, you know, they, they love these sort of trendy type 
approaches to those topics, but they don't necessarily go for truth. They're not necessarily interested in truth. And that's what our film is about, truth. What is, is it safe to say that film festivals and just, well, obviously Hollywood in general are more of the, uh, what we w- generally would call the left-leaning persuasion? I mean, it sure seems that way, doesn't it? I mean... Well, the reason why I bring that up is because that side of the political spectrum was considerably heavier on pushing all things Covidius minimus of the nonsense. They were just super behind it. Yeah. All the ding-dong celebrities getting out there saying, wear a mask, get vaccinated, blah, 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 just pushing it hard, super hard. So I'm not entirely surprised, but Marcy, maybe I should just go through the, the laurels that I've won and uh, see if you could submit to those same places, because obviously if they were somewhat open-minded to at least accept our film. Yeah, okay, that would be great. Um, I didn't I didn't really go through that process because we had a some a lot of the festivals that I was in before you had to premiere and you there at their festival um or and you could not be having an option for people to see the film through sales like you couldn't be putting it up on YouTube or you know you they, they have all their rules and every festival's different. So anyway, film festival talk is kind of just it's like everything it's commercial what's going on now in a way is a record of what's happened here there will be a 10 years from now what that looks like we don't know but the point is those of us that are here will be probably looking back and what i would be doing is if you're getting snubbed i'd be putting it on the website we submitted to this place and we were turned down i wouldn't poke them in the eye. I would just make a record of it. Um, I wanted to ask, but I already know the answer. Have you tried places like Gaia? Gaia won't touch Jason and I with a 10-foot pole. No, we didn't try Gaia because we have Jamie Icke's um, Iconic, which is sort of, I think, a better version of Gaia. It doesn't have the history of all kinds of (laughs) shady stuff. We actually have someone who's helping us negotiate these distribution deals. So it's possible that he is uh, shopping it to Gaia, but I will have to double check on that. My idea is it's just important not to maybe, uh, the idea is not to pick a fight, but the idea is to make a record that we did this thing we felt was important and we were turned down just to get it on the record. People will look in reverse at some point at what's happened here, providing we come out of it on our feet. Well, I have to say Gaia has been a very disappointing proposition. I, I thought they were really behind this sort of thing, and they've turned out to be the exact opposite. They reached out to us first. Right. Listen, they do put out some good material, but anyone who's trying to be in this business and compete with Netflix and get on platforms, because think about who owns the platforms that these streaming media services come through, right? They're owned by Apple. They're owned by Google and these big tech giant platforms. So you you have to do business with them, which means that you have to have censorship in order to get there. So this is not really the long-term answer, but right now it certainly is how you can distribute this to a wider audience. And so it's frustrating, but you know, we we hope that we will get this film snuck out there through one of these channels uh, that's who's willing to take a chance on it. Now, as far as the iconic platform is concerned, what's been the uh, feedback you've gotten from there? Do they say that it's, it's a popular thing? Is it available there on a regular basis? Like what's the relationship there? Yeah, well, it, I have, uh, I'm waiting actually for uh, the first uh, round of feedback. They do assessments every three months and we're just about at the end of the first quarter. So um, I'd be able to report on that uh, in the next couple of weeks, but they essentially feature it, their content for subscribers. So it's just like Netflix. If you uh, become a subscriber, then you get access to all of their content. And, you know, Jamie also is a documentary filmmaker, and I've been in uh, two or three of his uh, films as well, uh, which are available there. And there's a lot of other good content. Of course, a lot of David Icke's content is there as well. Jamie is uh, David's son. You know, there's a new thing going around right now that I have firsthand experience with running a website that does transactions. The gateways that do the transactions are now upping the game to get in and they will know exactly what you're doing. And at some point they will know exactly whether they approve of what you're doing. But one of the things now is this idea that you have to authenticate all these things that they put before you. And if you fail, and for some, even if you don't, 
it's thousands of dollars to come into compliance, which is another way of knocking people out who can't afford thousands of dollars to bring it into compliance, which in essence would remove their ability to do transactions. But as we move forward, so many people are trying to get over into private server space, and yet the vice seems to be closing in all directions. And I know there's no question there, but I'm just pointing out that this is getting harder for right now. Well, I listen, I'm I'm very concerned about this same exact issue. And I, I you know, I do think it's important to bring up, and we're already starting to see this because it, it seems that there are ways to protect yourself and do business in the private in almost all respects that you can protect yourself from outside regulation from you know government agencies. But in terms of doing e-commerce, right, which is really how we make a living, right, through our subscriptions or selling media content um, is how we stay afloat. And all of this is done virtually. And there is a monopoly on the ability to do these virtual financial transactions. And the companies that have this monopoly are now starting to cancel people's accounts. So Sayer G, we brought him up a couple of times. Um, he's going to get some some visits on his website from this show, but he also uh, was part of this. And uh, so I don't remember the details, but I know I've heard from several people that both PayPal and Venmo have turned off people's accounts because of the information that they're putting about goes against the mainstream narrative. So if we get cut out of doing business in this way, it'll be really difficult to make a living. I mean, are people going to, you know, send silver coins, uh, you know, through the mail to us or, you know, or fiat paper in, in a, an envelope in the mail? Like, how are we going to uh, do these kinds of uh, transactional businesses if we get cut out of this, and I think this is inevitably coming because they're going to be switching over to a central bank digital currency. Case in point, we're we're inches away from almost all content uh, being weighed and measured, and it doesn't really matter where it's coming from. I know people want to argue there's some clever peer to peer this blockchain that'll poppycock. The freeway is owned and controlled uh, where most of the people are. These are the Googles of the world. And the point I'm making is the social credit system is already existing on the content online. Jason and I proved that when I was whacked in uh, October of 2017, they put an algorithm on Crow 777. The searches went from millions to a couple thousand. And so while we're inching in on this, um, I'm just making the point, everyone should read Surveillance Capitalism, the first book written about it, because it gives you a finite window on what Andy's experiencing, what I'm experiencing. The things are already in place. It's just not open season yet, I guess. And Jason, how long ago was it we had Fortune on? Uh, he informed us that AI will be running the entirety of the internet by 2025. That's the general idea that they're going for. And here's the thing. It's just like with gun control. They can't get rid of all the guns. There's too many of them. So what do they do? They regulate and make sure that uh, ammunition is hard to come by. And the ammunition that is available, they make sure it's super expensive. Well, they're doing the same thing with the uh, information. They know that people are going to have platforms to talk on. And yes, they're going to try and squash that. But if they start trying to uh, choke anyone's capability for transactions, ah, now it's just like the gun control issue. Yeah. I think we should uh, all take a break. We'll have a shot and some birthday cake and we'll come back and better spin out. <laughs> <laughs> what problem can't be solved with birthday cake? Yeah, exactly. Except we know something about birthday cake. Now, don't get let, let's not go down the placenta road. We've we've covered that. <laughs> um, what, what were some of the challenges, Andy, that when you were making this? I mean, I saw footage of you uh, holding your ground with a was it a state police officer? Uh, yeah, that was a, I believe, a state police officer up in uh, the Adirondacks in uh, New York uh, when I was just trying to buy the ingredients to make s'mores for my kids on a camping trip uh, with some other families. And uh, they didn't want to serve me. And I decided to uh, wait around for the police because I thought they would actually stand up and, for me and allow me to purchase the groceries at this little mom and pop store. And, you know, I specifically went to a mom and pop store 
because I wanted to support a locally owned business. I didn't want to go to the chain stores because at that point, hardly any mom and pop stores were open or they had only reopened recently. And uh, I was trying to you know, help them get back in business and it didn't work out well. But you can see from that very tense interaction where I was actually physically manhandled and pushed out of the store um, illegally, that the officers that I was dealing with didn't have an understanding of the law and weren't really interested in understanding the law. They were just interested in being intimidating and in you know following some kind of directive that they thought uh, they had the authority to enforce. There it is again, the administration, right? So the doctor's basically just an employee. He's not practicing anything. Administration is telling him what to do. The police officers, I, I was in law enforcement in my young life, and it was a different world back then. When you stopped someone, there were protocols. If you made an arrest, you had to notify them what law they had violated. All these things are gone now to the point where when the police show up now, they're just working on what administration told them to do, and they don't even comprehend the idea of a public open community spot and the rules that go with it. It's a whole new world here. And Rose just sent me a thing that says at the World Economic Forum, some woman just admitted that the battle for misinformation started five years ago, which would basically coincide with the removal of my YouTube channel with over 100,000 followers and the implementation of an algorithm that kills searches to the point where certain people in the world, like near Norway, have actually written me an email saying, I searched for Crow 777 radio and I get no returns. What is your website? Here's the, the irony. I see the, the, the analytics. If you spell, if you get a C, one R, and any seven, you're going to get a search return on me. And so you can see the work of, of the algorithms in place. But here we are. In some ways, the police are no different than the doctors. Uh, they are following orders at this place to be employed, I guess. As are the school teachers, as are the psychologists, the psychiatrists. I mean, there, there's so much of this blanket unawareness of the source of of why we're in the situation we're in. Everybody is so asleep and blinded as to the original energy behind all of this. You know, it it really shocks me that we didn't figure this out at the very beginning when we were forced, literally forced to either get a vaccine or be punished. And if you just look at energy around force, we should have known before we even had to go to stage two of discussion about why, what, what's out there that's going to get us and then get into the whole virus thing. We should have known if we were more conscious, uh, conscious as a species, we should have been able to pick up on that energy field as being completely wrong from the very beginning. I and mean, this is not the way you raise kids. You know, you don't treat them like that in your family. We should never have been in a position where we were being told what to do with our bodies or else you get punished. I don't understand why people didn't didn't pick up on that. You know, Marcy, as well, as you were talking, you know, it just and and as Crow was talking, it, the school, the indoctrination of public mandatory compulsory schooling has so much to play. And I keep thinking of the fire drill model because it really, it just fits the situation so well. How many times were we trained with the fire drill that we were told there was a threat? We knew it wasn't real. We knew it was a drill, right? But nonetheless, we were told to treat it as if it were real. And then there was a designated authority figure, you know, our teacher or the principal or the guidance counselor. And we are supposed to get in line, single file, shut our mouths, listen, and follow every instruction without question, immediately. And that's exactly what you saw play out. For the benefit of your health. Yeah. For your safety. Yeah. It was all for the, to make you, make you believe that you're doing the right thing for yourself so that you tacitly agree that, hey, I'm doing this because I need to protect myself in case there's a fire. Why don't people see through this? You know, I also, another interesting point are the energy workers, the body workers, I would say for the ones that I go to, almost every single one of them, with the exception of maybe one, would see me or see the public 
during this whole COVID thing, it was like they, they're body workers. They're supposed to be moving energies through their bodies into your body to help you heal from something, but they're blocking their energy with fear. It's the same fear-inducing thing like what you're talking about with the fire drills. And it's just constant, constant. And even the people, like teachers, I mean, teachers in schools should know this, that these things they do are not good for kids. They should be able to see through this kind of stuff. Just like the body workers should know just intuitively that this is not good energy. This is not... I don't understand how we got so far away from having an honest discussion with ourselves about what energy looks like. I just don't understand it. it I mean, I know I can see, I can see logically how it's happened, but what, where's our inner voice? You know, what happened? Think about this, the indoctrination. We, we have a system that needs to be rebuilt from the ground up. As an example, the Santa Claus paradigm, yes. the parents tell the children a lie and they get rewards for believing in the lie. Then at some point they get old enough to realize it was a lie. Then they get old enough to tell that lie to their own children. So many of these paradigms have been built into our society. But what I see in answer to everything we just talked about, there is an adult scarcity there, it is so few and far between to meet an actual adult. And that too is reflected. When I was young, my parents took me to the drive-in. There was a Chilly Willy cartoon for the children. A few minutes. That's what the children got. Now there are primetime TVs of cartoons made for adults. Yeah. This is a programming narrative that has gone on since about the time we begin to walk and comprehend that has followed us all the way through the fallen generation, which has taken the hardest fall, which is basically my generation from roughly the sixties, late fifties, sixties to now. Um, and it has resulted in a worldwide shortage of adults, but anyhow, we're at the top of the hour. So I'll start with you, Andy. Andy, can you give your contact information or any information you'd like people to know before we get ready for hour two? Uh, yes, yeah, sure. I uh, please encourage everyone to uh, sign up for my newsletter at andrewkaufmanmd.com. That's Andrew, K-A-U-1-F-M-A-N, like man, MD, like medical doctor.com. All right, Marcy, can you please tell folks where they can find you or give contact information? Sure. Um, Marcy at passalonpictures.com. So it's M-A-R-C-Y at P like Paul, A-S-S-E. L-A-N-D, like dog, E.com. All right. If either of you do not have a login for crow777radio.com, send an email to Jason or Crow with the email to use, and uh, we'll get you logged in. The reason being, the day this goes live, please log in to comments under the full episode and put your links. Jason, do you want to get anything in before I wrap it? Uh, well, just one more time. It's terrainthefilm.com, and hopefully anybody uh, who hasn't seen it yet will go there and check it out. All right, we'll have links and comments under the full episode for membership. And that brings our one of episode 419, basically covering the makers of the film called Terrain, of which Jason served as an audio engineer and did narration. We will be back in hour two to delve in more deeply. And I'd like to wish everybody in the entire world a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.
Belief is the enemy of knowing. <laughs> 